0: Yo, you guys have to. You guys, did you guys watch the thing I sent over with Matt Smith getting like grinding the rail that I told you about? Or oh, is it in the? Tw- in the? Yeah, it's oh, in. i, our- yeah,
1: so.
0: <laughs> I do <don't> to watch. It <laughs> has like. It has like the score <laughs> where it's like grinding. It's like 1700, 200, 2100 times one, fifty fifty grind zero when he hits the ground. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty. good. And then the added music part is the funniest thing. <laughs>
2: that was pretty good.
0: Welcome to Podcast X, episode 15. Um, I am Ben Kendrick. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hello, sir. And special guest and Dragon Ball Z aficionado, Kofi Aula.
2: Um, I don't think that's the dragon we're here to talk about, but uh, thank you, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, today is a dragon-packed episode of Podcast X. We are going to be talking about... The premiere of the House of Dragon, House of the Dragon, the House of the Dragon, uh, the Game of Thrones prequel show that focuses on the Targaryens. Um, now that I and- am a host, I, I can be a little more critical than I can of the other podcasts of your hosting. Are you prepared for this episode? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so at, at all. all. Um, no, I actually am. I am relatively prepared for this. For this, Yeah, this is, this is like
2: uh, this is a song of uh, ice and fire. This is like Star Wars, man. You got to have your lore straight. Don't fuck around.
0: That's it. I think I, I think I have a pretty good handle on some of the stuff that uh, you know that is getting like set up here, and some of the Easter eggs and sort of like tie tie and through lines that they they sort of teed up here a little bit. So I'm it's I'm house, hoping, but and I mean, for the record, it's House of the Dragon. Yeah, House of the Dragon um but uh i also do know that you are a big game of thrones lore hound as well i feel like uh, i mean you, used you're to... selling me on a lot of lore helm you're making me a yes, lore for here you did but i think like in the old podcast days i believe that you were the most knowledgeable of the books
2: yeah, I mean, that's a nice way of putting it of how I went down a deep, deep psychological <laughs> rabbit hole of getting lost in the Game of Thrones books in order to write all kinds of crazy Game of Thrones articles. And yeah, yeah I mean, there was a point where I, I stopped living and I
0: just started reading Game of Thrones straight.
2: But uh, yeah. you've lore hoard me out here to like two things already in the first five minutes. So
0: It's true. This, you were asking if I'm ready for this podcast. I feel like the question is, Kofi, are you ready to carry this podcast? on your back, like the dragons of house of the dragon. As I said, uh... I'm
2: a, I'm a host now. I'm a, I'm the rightful, I'm your rightful heir to hosting something. So I've, I've been ready. <laughs> I just might have to beat down a city full of people first. You never know. <laughs> cut, off, <laughs>
0: cut off some dicks. <laughs> uh, I, okay, mean, so.
2: I mean, if we're talking about the industry, don't I do that anyway, Ben?
0: I think so. Oh, think shit. Yeah,
2: Whoa. Ho, ho. Tonight's Absolutely. drink will be a margarita with the extra sidecar. <laughs> um.
0: All right. Well, so yeah, so we're going to be reviewing and kind of discussing House of the Dragon. Um, but we will, like, I, I sort of feel like we're going to start out, we'll, we'll review it, but we also are going to slide into some, I'm sure, kind of retrospective look at at the final seasons of Game of Thrones. And the fact that this is sort of starting to build connections um, to that series and and starting to kind of change a little bit of the mythology of it's source material um, in order to kind of bring in some things that maybe feel a little bit more prophetic for, for the series as a whole and and try and tie things together a little bit more than the actual book that this is based on does. So I think it's fair to kind of talk about like, do we really want to see that? Um, and what do we want to see? Like how much Oof, you are? Amazing. There's so many things that are so loaded, what you just said. It's <laughs> I amazing. Know, I know. Oh, so, so yeah, so we'll get into some of that too. But first I'm you know I'm kinda curious about everybody's impressions. I'll start out by saying I think I probably speak for a lot of people who wait before um, you go
2: down a path, I just want to make sure yep. there's one thing I want to make sure we straighten out first. You said the book that this is based on you re- you know that this I hope you're using book with,
0: like, air quotes. Yes, yes. The, like, okay. historical record of fire and blood, basically.
2: Yeah, some old guy's musings about something he made up that's not yeah. quite a story in in conjunction to the story he's not quite finished with yet.
0: Yeah, is, for sure. That's really what
1: we're talking about. Yeah. And may yeah. never finish, to be clear yeah. (laughs)
0: um no yes like 100 it's not it's not like one of the you know the mainline books or anything like that it is kind of this subsection that's a history of the targaryens um that is written as a history it's not really written as like you know since we're
2: making Tolkien equivalents it's like those Tolkien like appendages or whatever they're called like the extra
0: bits that just are you talking about like
2: no, I mean like the crap they padded on to uh, Return of the King in those movies. Oh uh,
0: yeah. To follow no, out. Like
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I the I, indexes. So you just going through like the glossary and in the index of like token <laughs> stuff and we're like, here's another hour of a movie. Yeah. Um but like yeah. Yeah. I mean it's sure. basically what fire and blood is.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I know that you know there are like sequences from this this first episode that would be like a line of text in a book. <laughs> like they are definitely um, like really drawing some of this, some of the stuff out and reimagining it. Um, and I think some of that's interesting to talk about, about like how this has been sort of the interviews that they've been doing, how this sort of correlates with the canon of the books, how the books are sort of this history, and it's like it could be kind of a flawed history that's been passed down, and like we're now seeing what they are presenting as kind of the canonical version um, of the story, which I think is kind of an interesting. <laughs> An interesting way to like retcon some of like what's going to be different in these books as opposed to the, or the, in these shows, as opposed to the books. But um, I don't think
2: it's a workaround. I think it's kind of like what people who are smart are learning to do with this prequel totally,
0: structure. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because the
2: two thousands just littered. And I was just doing this cause I had a whole segment on the excellent comic book nation uh, podcast about how we did a better call solve versus breaking bad comparison. Mm. And we were talking about how Better Call Saul has in some ways done, has set a new standard for like what a prequel can be as it was a prequel and (laughs) an interquel and a sequel at the same time. But the way that it took things you thought you knew about these characters and about who they were and then completely kind of spun them around on you is really profound and like well done and rich as the original series. And I think it's a fair thing to say. And And it's a smart thing to realize, like, yeah, not everything that's written in these books or these songs is the fucking way that it was. Like, yeah, I mean, the whole twist of the of Game of Thrones is the history of Ned Stark and the Targaryens. Right. Yeah. The whole secret. And like, yeah, and and that's not what the fucking songs sing. But like, I think that's a smart thing to do because. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the books are the mess. And I'm just going to make my point simple on this. The books are a fucking mess. They're not even a finished canon. Like, yeah, the creative, I mean, pretending George R. 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 Martin still matters. is like putting Stan Lee in those Marvel movies, right? Yeah. It's nice. And it's a nice gesture. But, like, that's about all that's really necessary. This thing is a machine making money on its own. Yeah. And you know, and you guys personally know, and the reason why I'm kind of spazzing out about this right now <laughs> is because you were guys were there. When I sat down with that man and I told that fucker he better write fast. I was yeah. like, what are you going to do? Like straight up, like, what are you going to do? Like, this is starting to take off. And yeah. what we're talking about was, where were we? Was that the Bayfront Hilton? Or No, no, that, no that was Hilton, Marriott, right the man. Yeah, Marriott. yeah, That was the Marriott, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, the Marriott Marina. Yeah, the Marriott Marino, San Diego. It was right like 2000, like it had to be 2010, 2011, right when yeah. Game of Thrones came out. It was right after the first season and we saw him. We were at a meet and greet for Screen Rant and we were all three of us were there and we just saw him sitting at a table and he was still like just I mean, obviously he had been like a book person for many years. But like in terms of like the mainstream appeal, he was still kind of able to sit there with just like an agent and not be like largely bothered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. didn't we also see Stan, Stan Lee in that same room? We was did. that the same was, time. Literally, so, I think Man, was, that was a crazy time. Man, yeah, that was, I think it was literally wild.
0: like they were within like I, I, if I remember correctly, they were both there in the same room yeah. at the same time, and Stan Lee was covered tables. in all these. Yeah, Stanley was like covered in hot women and like geeks and people like trying to get his autograph and stuff, and almost no one knew. You know that it was like George R. R. Martin just sitting like three chairs Yeah, the day, like exactly. It was like,
2: a they were almost yeah. sitting like an L shape to each other, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Like Stanley we was like against the wall. Me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was nuts. So, and I and I just was like I wasn't trying to interview him. This was an industry. I was just you know me and Ben were still like pretty fresh out of writing school, and I was just yeah. like curious. I was like nervous for him. I was like you <laughs> know I'd had a drink or two, and I was like, look, man what are you going to (laughs) do like straight up this thing is moving like it's going to catch on like how fast can you write are you be able to do this and he was just like oh something something the creative muse and i was like yeah but what are you going to do and eventually his agent (laughs) just looked over and was just like okay that's enough of that like we're gonna go (laughs) and i was like fair enough but like no for real what what the fuck are you gonna
0: do um
2: answer tbd yeah
0: I'll, I'll never forget mike mike eisenberg was with us who used to do a lot of camera work for us and he was a writer for us he was the guy we were referring to when we were talking about transformer scoops um he was the guy that called that michael bay wasn't shooting transformers 3 entirely in 3d thing he he, he tried to walk up to stan lee like when you were having that conversation with george r, r. martin you just walk right up you're having this conversation with george r. r martin he tried to go meet stan lee and the there was like 10 people that stepped in front of stan lee and basically told him, like, not today. Uh, <laughs> just like letting cute women walk up and stuff and uh, shutting out well, the time. Well, I mean, weird, to be fair, Michael,
2: players. yeah, Mike, Mike Heisenberg probably looked like a Terminator in his eyes. I mean, <laughs> n- he was probably like nice, but he was probably like hyper focused on meetings daily. Yeah, and he is like 10 feet tall. Like, yeah, yeah that's it. Some like other a bouncer red, was probably, probably like,
0: baseball player. he was yeah.
2: probably taller than the bouncer that stopped him. And that's probably yeah. why they stopped him. <laughs>
0: yeah 100% um, Okay, well, so let's get into it. So I think I probably sit relatively well with a lot of people who were who were kind of coming into this show because I was very big on Game of Thrones. Um, when it was out, I would say I wasn't like a, I didn't I didn't end up reading the books. I didn't get like super into it outside of the, you know, sort of the event television of it all. I watched the first season like alongside a lot of other people, but had no idea how crazy stuff would get and that there was like a supernatural component. I just thought it was a show where I was going to watch Sean Bean, you know, be a King until he eventually gets killed. And, uh, you know, that, uh, (laughs) I was partly right. But, um, you know, I really came on board with it as it, as it became a bigger thing. And as more people got excited about it and as they got to tell, you know, more complex stories. And as they got to like spend more on CGI and I was there for a lot of the supernatural stuff. And then like a lot of people, I'd say the last two seasons, like were just a colossal disappointment for me and felt rushed, felt like, you know, they, they may not have had, you know, Martin's books and stuff to kind of guide them, but it wasn't like you really needed those. Like you knew what the end point was and you just didn't stick the landing. Like the character work especially as it pertained to like Daenerys and and kind of what happens, like even if that's what Martin would have written, I don't think it landed well in a TV show. And I think they needed more episodes or, or something else in there to kind of, um, you know, transition the audience into, into seeing Daenerys as like a bad guy and as someone who wouldn't give up this power and, um, you know, was going to become kind of like the mad queen, like her, like her father and stuff like that. So, um, I, I was disappointed by those and I do count them amongst like probably some of the worst conclusions to a series that was like really stellar up there with like, you know, how Dexter was really great in the early years and then kind of went off the rails at the end. Um, I put it on the same level as a show like that, which is, a, you know, a major bummer. And so when we were covering all of these different spin-offs that they were going to do. Um, you know, and prequels and different things that they wanted to do. And they had announced like three or four different projects and they were all kind of, you know, in development. Um, I was not excited for any of that, like literally any of it. Um, When the first one was kind of canceled, I was, I guess, kind of a little disappointed because we're in the pandemic and I was kind of eager for some event television um, and some things that felt familiar to me. But I was also kind of like, thank God because like this thing needs to sit a little bit longer and, and you know, they really need to decide a direction and invest in like one thing that's going to be, that's going to kind of elevate this thing back into where it used to be. And so as you know, this started coming closer as like, you know, the buzz was picking up for house of the dragon and we were seeing a lot more like trailers and, you know, and like ads and stuff like that for it. I, sta- I started to kind of get like interested and I started to be like, well, you know, I'll definitely watch that, but I'm not really all that excited about it. Um, Because not necessarily just because I've been burned, but just I don't know that I was like necessarily ready for more Game of Thrones. But I will say watching this, um, like I feel like I'm back. Like I feel as though this reignited a lot of my interest in almost a way that maybe the series hadn't for the last like two or three years, not just because it was bad or, you know, sort of subpar compared to the rest of the show, but because the last two or three years were sort of dedicated to you know, trying to kind of make sense of all of the different threads that they had going. And it was closing down a lot of stories and bringing them to their ultimate conclusion. Whereas this was just fun to kind of sit in Westeros and King's Landing like 200 years before, you know, the events of the show that we've been watching. And see some of these locations that were in ruins in Game of Thrones, like with people you know in them like the dragon keep and stuff you know like those things it was interesting the way some of that was tied together and just being introduced to a whole new cast of characters some of which have very similar kind of arcs it looks like um, going into this series as characters that we knew from you know the original series but still like I like those dynamics I like the sort of group of people that are around a king and whispering in his ear and how they're kind of you know, manipulating him and working to their own advantage and the conflict that that creates. Um, I liked a lot of that and I'm interested in, in Damon and kind of his story and and where that goes, not just because it's Matt Smith who I love from Dr. Who and, and his, uh, his award winning performance in Morbius. Um, but I like, I just, I'm interested in that kind of character. Um, and I think, I think he does a good job in that role of adding some depth to a character that, for all intents and purposes, and the books may have been a bit more one-dimensional, and uh, and and sort of fleshing some of the, fleshing some of that out um, with a bit more, you know, conflicted emotion and, and stuff like that. Even though he's still brutal as shit, and uh, and you know, kind of arrogant as shit. But and some of the action, like, really kind of surprised me too. Like, I liked the jousting and like watching. I saw I saw a meme today of someone who had set the Tony St- or not Tony Stark um, Tony Hawk skater music to that scene where Matt Smith is grinding across the rail between the, uh, you know, the jousting work, <laughs> and stuff like that. And it was, um, good. Like it, it made me laugh because like when I watched that, that <laughs> it did seem like just a cool way of making something that is otherwise kind of boring to watch on TV. Like I don't think jousting is the most exciting thing for a modern audience to kind of watch, um, and that kind of added like a bit more oomph to it and a bit more impact. And like it was a more dynamic, you know, battle than just people kind of crashing into each other and falling off their horses and then going sword to sword on combat and stuff. So um, it left me definitely wanting more and it, it reignited my interest in the history. And I feel like this past week, I've been, or not this past week, this past like 48 hours, I've been consuming more lore and and kind of like you know looking at the references and stuff more than i expected to be and as a result i'm kind of on board like i'm interested to see where it goes um i have some questions about how all of this is going to play out over time and how unique they can really make it from from kind of the game of thrones experience that we've already had but right now i'm on board and i'm excited for it and my my sort of passion for the franchise is definitely energized um so i'm curious kind of how you guys feel. I feel like that was a relatively consistent um, opinion online. Like a lot of people that kind of went into this saying, oh, well, I'll give it a shot, ended up really liking it. And I feel like, you know, in looking at the Game of Thrones subreddit, some people who had been quite salty in general, just in terms of the percentage of negative posts on the finale of Game of Thrones versus the conversation that's kind of happening around this, it does feel like the fandom was reignited and feels more confident about this than they had maybe even like two or three months ago. So um that said, I will... Which one of you guys wants to go first? Uh I, I can chime in quickly. I, I, I think I just uh, straight up just agree with you. And,
1: and, you know, when OG Game of Thrones like went off the rails after, I guess, season five-ish, you know, it was so weird because it felt... At that point and onward, the last three seasons, it felt stretched, but at the same time too slow, some of its key yeah. plots. Yeah. But it wasn't just the pacing they lost control of and, and like the direction of the overall stories. But like you know, Tyr- Tyrion, for example, Peter Dinklage's infamous character, became like a different character almost. He was acting strangely. And not because of in-story plot happenings. It's just because they wrote him differently, it felt like. They just didn't... Yeah. Seem to know what to do with them, And the same thing with, there was a whole like season and a half or two seasons of Daenerys and her armies it felt like they were going in circles for a bit. And it's just like, and it's fine, but the pacing of that versus the other ones didn't fit. And then when they tried to force them all together quickly at the end, it just didn't work. And they, they made some, you know, curious decisions in hindsight. Um, and it just got dumb, you know, which is why I think so many, so many of us feel burned by that. And so like you going into this one, I didn't feel anything. I wasn't, neglecting it i just didn't care and so i didn't care until i started watching it and as soon as i did man like you know props to 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 these new creative team they pulled me right in this felt like OG, you know seasons two three four even one like game Game of thrones They, they did such a tremendous job making this stylistically um and production value wise feel exactly like game of thrones it feels like it fits right in there so perfectly and they do that with like all new characters you know the locations you know what dragons are there's more of them you know the targaryens but it's like this is they have to start from scratch and earn back our trust and they did i mean props to the marketing team too i mean apparently if you guys saw the press release today they hit almost 10 million viewers in the first night which is the sets an hbo all-time record um yeah which is incredible coming off of you know again like that what Many would say it's kind of a failed ending of the original show. And like you said, they had all of these weird pilots and spin-offs they were planning. And this is the one they went with. So, so good on them. Um, but yeah, I felt like each act of this first episode got better and better. And I, I was so, so into it. And, and on top of that, the most impressive thing is that they introduced in traditional game of Thrones fashion, so many new characters. And even with some of them, um, you know, supporting characters and what have you, getting just little bits of screen time. They do so much with how they position them in shots, their mannerisms, their reactions, who they interact with and how that's shot. Like, I feel like I know all of them already. I and I'm so curious. I'm so enthralled to see what each one of them do. Like even though this is game what's so special about Game of Thrones is how they mix fantasy in the background with the politics. And the politics of this show is so exciting compared to Any other show. And that's always been the Game of Thrones secret sauce, right? The first couple of seasons. It's like, what are they going to do? And so many of these characters are so easily and quickly hateable as well but in the best way possible for viewers. I want to see what they're going to do. So um, it really did pull me in. And, of course, you got the Game of Thrones orgies and like gratuitous blood and, and, you know, like, <laughs> like that uh, jousting sequence when it <laughs> goes off the rails. And they're just like everybody's arms are being cut off and their faces imploded, and they're just like killing each other in the background of another scene happening. Um, so uh, good on them. And, you know, to your boy, Ben, uh, Matt Smith, who has been just, eating bomb after bomb with the failed star Wars role, his terminator Genesis role, which got cut and it was terrible anyways. And then of course, Morbius (laughs) to see him get like a leading, uh, you know, quite a wild character in this and make it work in a weird way that fits him. I think, um, I'm, you know, me not being a doctor who guy, I am now team Matt Smith. So, uh, I'll leave it there. And I'm curious what, uh,
0: Kofi thinks. Yeah. I'm glad to see that you finally, um, you know, found the reason to love Matt Smith as. I a never, He was. I actually liked him in Morbius. That movie's just. You know, <laughs> he, is, he actually is probably one of the best parts of Morbius. It's kind of yeah. crazy what his body looks like in this too. I didn't guess, even after all the time of watching Doctor Who. Like, I guess I hadn't realized like how big he actually could be, like how tall he actually looks, and how big he can actually look when he's like in armor, as opposed to yeah. you know, like, like a. He's like forty nine years old. He looks good. He's, he's big in the armor for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, all right, Kofi. Um, I'm going to hold it down for, you know, real Game of Thrones heads. I was, like I said, <laughs> deep into the book. I know my Targaryen history. Like, I know a lot of this. And um, I think, as Rob said, <clears throat> they do a good job of earning back our trust. The director of this episode is our boy, uh, Miguel Sapinch. I always butcher his name. Sapinchwick, sapinchunik, Sapo Sapo. Chenik Sapochenik and uh I mean he's the guy who infamously directed things like uh the long the long winter or whatever it is the one with the uh the battle of uh, winterfell and other ones that we liked but uh he infamously did the the dark directing right so this is also like a comeback for him so you know shout out to miguel for uh he did the long night and uh he did the bells which uh uh, the one where Daenerys went crazy. Uh, so you know, he did some of the uh most infamous ones, but he <laughs> yeah. also did, yeah, but he also did um Winds of Winter, uh, basically where Cersei blew up the sept with everybody in it, and he also did Battle of the Bastards. So, like, he 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 came up from doing good ones, but uh as was stated, like maybe on the latter seasons, he didn't do so hot with some of those. And he's the one who caught all the hell for the darkness of the battle of Winterfell and not being able to see that. So this was his episode and uh, it was very well lit. I must say Uh, there were dark parts for sure, but uh, I saw a lot of it and it was very good. And no, I'm just kidding, but it looked good. It looked great from a production standpoint. So I think this was his comeback too, but it also did a great job of hitting this balance of, as we said, tweaking things just enough to make you unsure that everything you know about the history is correct, but putting all the pieces in their proper places, like if you know, I mean, and people are churning out and I got to probably churn one out tomorrow, uh, like entire time history, family trees of the Targaryens to kind of show people like, how does this really kind of relate to Game of Thrones? And if you read even one of those, it breaks down just some of the crazy things that are definitely going to happen. And you know about some of them. You just don't know yet because now you're in the forest and you're not looking at the whole forest because you're down there in the trees and you're looking at every character as a tree. But there are events you've heard about in the main series and, you know, even big battles that you've heard about or, or conflicts that you've heard about in the main series that you don't even know that you're seeing the beginnings of yet. You haven't put two and two together yet, but they put all the pieces in their place. They put all the players in their place and they do a very good job of subtly really kind of subtly, but not too subtle if you know how, you know, demented Dame of Thrones can be uh, showing you like where some of these character arcs and relationships are going to go. Um, and we're going to look back on some of them later and be like, oh man, yeah, I saw that. I didn't see that coming at first, but, uh, but if you know the history, you do know this episode in the best game of Thrones way, puts a lot of pieces on the chessboard and you're like, oh shit. Like, and you know, if you know your history, you're like, oh shit, I know where this is going. Like, this is nuts. And it is watching like a kind of slow moving train wreck because you, what you're seeing are the seeds of what are going to eventually, you know, bring down or set in motion the fall of the Targaryen dynasty, uh, which, you know, gets ultimately swept away during uh, Robert's Rebellion. That's what Robert's Rebellion all was. You're used to looking at like, you know, Baratheon and Ned Stark as the heroes of that all that whole thing. But now you're going to see kind of the weird other side of like what they brought down and what kind of started to shatter the Targaryens, including their own infighting uh, that led to the Mad King and how that all kind of came about. So I got to say that to say they did a masterful job on this one. This is, I mean, easily to me, and it's, I mean, they have the benefit of so much experience and budget on their side, but I mean, it was just better kind of set up story than Game of Thrones was to me because this immediately kind of let you know what kind of socio political tensions there are and, and how they're going to bubble over and, you know, what kind of conflicts we're going to get in the kind of the best way. Um, but yeah, so good stuff in this one. And yeah, Matt Smith is kind of finally able to choose scenery in the best kind of way. And they put good use, I mean, putting him to good use because I mean, he is kind of a weird dude. He has a weird look to him. Like he looks like he could be like one of those shapeshifter aliens, but like he just, just, he's got a distinct look and in kind of like a weird offbeat kind of manner to him that made him a great doctor. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what makes him a great doctor, but uh, he finally kind of fits here. And, you know, Daemon Targaryen has a great arc. And so, I'm excited to see where this goes. And yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, I think with Matt Smith in particular, you know, and I know obviously I'm inclined to talk about him a lot just because I, you know, I love Dr. Who so much and I like him a lot. And an 11th doctor was my favorite doctor, but I feel like he, in this role, there's something that sensitivity that made him like a great doctor and that like enthusiasm and that sort of like his ability to kind of, emote because he has a weird looking face like he's a he is kind of a weird looking kind of like chunky face dude like he's got very angular features and you know a big forehead and, and things like that that make him kind of like extra expressive I think and I think that's kind of why he's sort of fun in Morbius is because a lot of the scenes that we remember like him dancing and stuff <laughs> it, it sort of plays to how weird of a person he sort of looks and and kind of the way that he is able to emote um, with his with his face and everything. And going into this, I was a bit concerned for him how he was going to play a character that was supposed to be so physically intimidating and and kind of intense, even though he's been that in, um, you know, in certain things that that we've seen him in, especially and to some extent in Doctor Who, I'd say, I mean, you know, there's intense emotion in that show, even though it's kind of a goofy show. But I was really impressed. And I think that's why a lot of people are talking about this character in particular, because he does walk that really fine line between between being kind of this imposing figure that we know is going to be causing trouble in in Westeros and may have kind of conflicted reasons for doing so. Um and clearly has sort of conflicted feelings about how he feels about his brother and the situation that he's in, in in King's landing. But I think he comes out as sort of a shining character in this because people are really interested in that character now. And if you had put Damon in the hands of someone who was more of just kind of an evil person that hasn't had this history of kind of being a charming sort of energetic, you know, sort of like goofy guy, I think you probably get a different version of Damon that might've been a little bit less compelling. Like it, it would have been a darker, more foreboding character, even though that is in his arc in the future. Um, like I do feel like that's a character that really ends up standing out here as a result of, as a result of that. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with like a lot of, you know, a lot of what you're saying. I think it, I think it sort of, it sort of works in the show in a, in an interesting way. Um, there is going to be one thing that, you know, we haven't really kind of talked about is there is going to be like a time jump jump for Rhaenyra. Um, how do you say is that, is that? her name? Rhaenyra, right? Yeah, it's right? close enough. Yeah. Um, Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be a time jump where we're going to get like a completely different actress in this role. Um, Emma Darcy is playing her. And uh, and Olivia Cook is playing the you know the Hightower girl, who's her her friend and everything um, at the beginning of this. So I am a little bit curious how you especially Kofi kind of anticipate that going because they've you know they sort of established a, a pair of characters here, especially you know as it pertains to Rhaenyra. I think that actress is is great, but it's not going to be very long before we just we jump into older versions of these characters, and I'm a little bit curious how you think they should be handling like that that time jump in particular because in game of thrones we did not really have that like we have to sort of see these kids grow up and grow into these roles and this is going to be a little bit different approach to that
2: i mean we had the kind of opposite weird experience brand went from being a little kid to being like hey bro childhood by the end yeah. like oh, that's poor yeah that's true yeah poor horror right <laughs> um, <laughs> to <carry him> around. <laughs> Yeah, And it it is kind of key for them to jump because this wasn't like a time of war and stuff. I mean, the whole thing was the Targaryens had an unbreakable dynasty, and they were were the only thing that was really going to trouble them. So there are a lot of periods of this where they are just kind of living life and doing stuff, and there's a whole bunch of things that you you don't want to have take time because There is a whole lot of, and I'm trying to do this without spoilers, but there is like a whole lot of drama that comes out of who marries who, for what reason, how many, I mean, they established this in the first episode, right? Um, Who marries who and has how many heirs and like who, you know, and how that all shakes out and where does the Pachinko ball of succession go? And this is what ultimately kind of throws the whole Targaryen, dynasty into a mess is determining who is a rightful successor there's a bunch of half children or you know half half targaryens not full targaryens people who had claims but didn't get the recognition people who did get the recognition that people don't feel should have the claim and like and that's how it all gets messy so yeah there's a lot of that that you we're not going to be able to take like 18 seasons to build up how each of these Targaryens meets a first wife or then, then a second wife and raises their first set of kids and then has another one. But like all that happens. Like some of these motherfuckers have like, you know, six, seven, eight kids, you know what I mean? Over the course of their lives. And it's just like, yeah, we can't do that. And I saw, I mean, if you saw the previews for the season, you know, you already saw like glimpses of what Olivia cook and i a Darcy look like, but I like the young rain uh, rainia uh, Renee, yeah. uh, or whatever her name is. And like, yeah, no, she was a good, she was a great actress for this pilot episode, but uh, yeah, it's smart because you do have to jump to this period in their lives later when they are like actual women yeah. and you can do some of the things and thank God, because uh, I also think the old Game of Thrones might have done some of the things that happen, you know, because this is still medieval times with these girls getting like married off and yeah, stuff. Yeah. It would be super creepy to do it with these actresses now.
0: Like, yeah, so like
2: just do the time jump and make it less creepy for everybody.
0: Yeah, it was creepy enough seeing like you know Alicent Hightower, who is you know going to be played by Olivia Cook and is the is Otto's you know daughter, kind of put pushed into the king's oh um, you know into the king's bedroom basically with a book <laughs> by her own father and yeah i mean i can see where you know those kind of things having having any kid in a game of thrones show is just a recipe for for uncomfortable situations and and potential like online blowback yep. and, and
2: there not enough intimacy coaches
0: in the world yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah, well, no, I agree. I just thought, I thought uh, in particular, like Millie Alcock is the person who plays the the young Rhaenyra. Um I thought she was great. I really did. Like, I, like if we had stuck around, if we ended up sticking around with her, you know, for several seasons, like, she would have been a compelling, I think, lead to this series in a lot of ways. But, um, like, that Dracaris part is just so, you know, where she stops and she looks at her dad and you're like, she's going to say the thing. And then, you know, <laughs> she does. Like, I thought that was... Uh, I thought that was cool. Um, And I thought she carried those moments, you know, really well. And even uh, a lot of the jousting scene and the tournament scene, you know, where she's sort of rooting for these people. But also, you know, by the end, um, I forget what uh, is it? Oh, it's Kristen Cole, right? Is the the Dornish guy um that wins the tournament or, you know, beats Damon. You know, when he's asking for her favor, like she has this kind of coy look on her face, you know, where she she knows what he's doing and um, you know, she's willing to play along. I thought those were really well acted for a someone of her age and B just kind of the complexity of the position that she's in here. Um so, you know, I'm sure Emma Darcy will do a great job, but I'm interested to see how they handle that time jump and kind of bummed that we won't get more of of, you know, young, uh, so it's just
2: going to fade out and fade back in with some medieval lettering saying oh, totally, yeah. later.
0: Yeah. She's going to be riding, she's going to be riding her dragon, you know, and it's going to, she's going to go into a cloud and like pop out on the other side, you know, a, a fully, fully adult woman or something. And they made a point of this too. Her dragon is still
1: young. So by the time we see yeah. her get older, the dragon will be full size as well. And can go ahead. Yeah. to head. I, mean, I don't know. I'm speaking up shit against Damon's massive ass dragon yeah. that he flew back home with.
0: So. It's cool though I like the differences in the dragons are also cool, like I like that they're sort of embracing that idea that the dragons are you know they're they're all dragons, but just like cats and lions and you know are the same basic thing, you know at some like fundamental level like these these dragons are very different, whereas I think the ones we saw in Game of Thrones like they were you know they were different, but they were mostly just different colors and a little bit bigger, one was a little bit bigger and stuff than the other one like didn't have these like significant differences in their physical appearance and i'm kind of curious how they play with those once we once we see these things like actually fighting or actually in combat i think that'll be quite cool too Mm -hmm. um this does kind of not retcon but add you know like the game of thrones subreddit is blowing up a bit because there is this scene towards the end when um, the series is essentially telling Rhaenyra that, you know, he is going to make her queen, um, you know, or, or his heir essentially. And, uh, and he tells her basically that, you know, the reason the Targaryens came to Westeros was because they had this vision of a future in which the world would be threatened by this power. And you would need a, you would need a, you know, a Targaryen on the Iron Throne, you know, with their dragons to fight back this world destroying, um, you know, this this world destroying like fate basically and threat, and that has been perceived as kind of a of a retcon because. And correct me if I am wrong. Was it Rhaegar that was the one that had originally had that vision, and now it's they're saying it's Aegon now. Um, so yeah,
1: yeah, he's saying Aegon had this vision, and that's what yeah. they're saying. But it's the second vision, right? Because before Aegon, there was the vision of the doom. Valeria, like the initial, yeah, prophecy that made them leave that land before it got wasted by whatever natural disasters in a day, like volcanoes and shit. And this is the second version of that where they had to go to yeah. Westeros. Like you said, they they need a Targaryen king or queen that would not just the dragons, whatever would need to unite all the houses and families and lands of, of Westeros to take on this threat from the north. Yeah. So, uh, basically, I that was it was, cool
2: though. it's basically the the chunk that you're kind of missing is that they've retconned the title of the book into that. I mean, so now that we yeah, can do the, the Leo meme. Yeah. The yeah. name of the dream is a song of ice and fire. And it's basically trying to give larger meaning to what happens in game of Thrones as right. this longer prophecy. And it's not too outlandish because like you said, there has, there are, they're not very prominent in the books, but there are right. like, it never dwells on them, but there are mentions of, you know, characters having had these visions and, and, Across multiple levels from the Targaryens to the, you know, to the people, to the, uh, the, the witches and the red people and like all those people. Yeah, but, like,
1: there was even the Lannister prophecy like, yeah. about,
2: about the kids and who would kill who sort yeah, we yeah. Yeah. yeah, the witch, you know, and saw that. And so like, there's all these prophecies in there, but, um... Yeah, it, I mean it's it's fine. Like it's a way to make you sit up and say, I mean, for hardcore fans to be like, Oh, he said the thing, like mainstream Game <laughs> right. of Thrones viewers, there's such a large number of people, it's hilarious, that probably still don't even know that this thing is called a song of ice and fire, as the books yeah. like sure. All they know is Game of Thrones. So um but it was just like it was good and it and it gives some through line purpose to like what is going on in the show. Yeah. That you- to show you all the steps of fate that had to happen to
1: make this shitty ending we got. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Cause like, I, I think it's a brilliant way to set up and make meaningful the whole original show, except for the fact that they
0: fumbled the fucking ending so hard. <laughs> it makes the ending almost worse. But uh, no, that's I think what it's, I, cool. I guess that's what yeah. I thought was kind of weird is like, this is sort of an opportunity to like start fresh and they start really, I mean, you know, even in that, in that sign or in that, that sign in that scene, you know, he's got his hand on the cat's pot dar- dagger, which is the thing that, you know kills the night that Arya kills the night king with right so it's kind of like it's like all of the pieces are there you know as to what's necessary they're already here kind of uh to give us the ending that we got which is which would be cool if people loved that ending but it's kind of yeah. like uh it's, it's sort of be calling be... attention how insane that ending was you know what it <laughs> is dude there if this shows a quality through and through or even
1: if it's not i think like this hindsight bullshit. It's like, we all love the star Wars prequels now. You know what I mean? I yeah, think people yeah. will just like in retrospect, once they earn this story and earn the setup, people will be like, Oh yeah, that's kind of cool. And they'll kind of forget about it. But by then we'll have three other fucking game of Thrones shows anyways. Right. <laughs> Including this John Snow one, but uh,
2: yeah. yeah um, Plus we'll get like the battle of Winterfell, the Sapo chick cut, Sapo cut. And you know, yeah yeah it'll be, a, it'll uh, be an
1: yeah. ultra 8k so you can see every shadow moving like it'll be great yeah. so oh, what's yeah. what's funny of that prophecy band the uh, song of ice and fire thing that was something george r, r. martin that was his idea actually so he I does have do that. according to him he has more input in this show than he did the ending of game of thrones but wow. i mean that's just all pr right so i don't know what's, what's real and what's not but apparently wow. the the that like big connection in retcon was his idea according to the interesting showrunner, yeah so.
0: that's uh a- yeah, I'm <laughs> I mean I guess that just speaks to the fact that he's just never going to finish those books. Like he's just at this point jumping in and, you know, playing in his own world um as much as anybody else. Yeah. Cuz uh you know, I mean, that's just cool. say you if sold I read out, bro. Like, this, like fine, you know. He sold, just out, you sold yeah. out. Just say you sold out, bro. be like I got people yeah. who do that
2: shit now. I don't write that. <laughs> yeah. Just 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 stop. Just why torture yourself? Like just go enjoy like your life. Go live yeah. your best <laughs> don't even sit at the typewriter anymore. Don't even pretend. Just be like, yeah, yeah I did it. Take as the far checks. As I needed to. Now it belongs to the people. Be like, <laughs> learn. <laughs> yeah. Be like, I learned faster than Lucas did. I'm
1: giving it to the people. Here you go. Yeah. You I guess, guys are finished. I don't want to make bold proclamations based on one episode, but like, I think Kofi said, like, they've had the benefit of all this experience and learnings and feedback and planning. And I really think, from the sounds of it, anyways, like if they have planned ahead and they must have through this process of cutting through pitch after pitch after pitch and pilot after pilot to get to this point. Oh Um, my God. They they
2: produced another show that probably would have fucking failed. (laughs)
1: that was was like a thousand years ago before the long night that was their original they They made the pilot they shot the pilot with naomi with naomi watts and a whole bunch of people yeah i want to see that out of curiosity i really want to see that we'll do a view
2: but again they were smart enough to realize that game of thrones (laughs) nerds like me know what that period is about and some of like the crazy fabled heroes that came out of it and like you know when the children of the forest were kind of still a little or the you know the green children or whatever oh, geez, still yeah. kind of around and doing and like it was still kind of a mystical world and and but there was shit happening in the free cities that's where that all came up and stuff and like all the all that happened and that's great for me but like the average person would have been fucking so lost and it's a thousand years before Game of Thrones it's like yeah. Old Republic you know like nobody's trying to go right to the Old Republic so they created the High Republic. Right, and so right. they just did a – this is with the Targaryen thing. People know the name Targaryen. They love dragons,
1: and they get it. So, Yeah, and they know these locations pretty well. Um, what I was going to say is uh, they've made it very clear they know how this show ends. So they're building – I'm hoping in my mind they have planned it out so well that they – and I don't think that we know how many seasons they're thinking right now, but I hope they know so they can plan it and plot accordingly because they know the ending. They obviously know the next show – um. So I hope they can execute on on a predefined plan and, and do away with all the problems shows like Lost in the original Game of Thrones had. And, of course, franchises like the Star Wars movies, when they had no clue what they were doing from the beginning. So, you know.
2: but Well, the, I mean, uh, not to spoil – I'm not going to spoil anything. But just knowing the history of the family, there are some pretty built-in clear points of where you would start this story and where you would stop.
1: But – Is because- that three seasons or six? You know what I mean?
2: Like – no, it's it's significant. It could be six seasons. There's, like I said, there's a lot that has to do with, like, over the course of their lives, like, who gets married, who gets born, like, who dies, and, like, what oh, happens totally. in the course of just the course of life and not like Game of Thrones where it's like, oh, they got taken out by the White Walkers. It's like, I mean, you saw, like, what this episode set up with the Queen's death and that oh. whole thing, which that jousting tournament scene with everybody getting their heads bashed in was one of, as now that I'm a parent was like one of the worst sequences I've ever seen. Cause it was also like with this horrible childbirth thing. Oh, God, oh, yeah. God. That you was too much man. for me. It was a way to, like making a childbirth extremely graphic without showing you the censored things they can't show, show you. So, yeah. uh, gross game of Thrones. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> you I uh, yeah. yeah.
2: Ashley, I so actually did cover, not I wanna... covered my eyes. I covered my eyes for that part. I, I just, I Same. didn't watch a lot of it. I was just going yeah. like, Ashley...
0: to Ashley did not want to watch this last night. She wanted to watch Indian matchmaking. Um, I, but I was like, look, we're going to be talking about this on a podcast. And I really wanted to see it. I didn't want to be spoiled. So I told her, I was like, look, we're watching it tonight. You know, I'll watch I'll watch Indian matchmaking with you tomorrow. Um, but we watched this thing at, you know, 930 at night. And she was like, this is not relaxing before going to bed and starting like a new work week. And that scene in particular I I was like looking over at her like, is she gonna is she gonna make it through this? Because between the tournament with people getting their heads bashed in and just them like sticking their hands into her pregnant belly and like wriggling around and blood pouring out and stuff. Jesus I, Fred, we get it. <laughs> I and then, yeah, but even me, I was kinda like, I don't know, I don't know if I can even watch this. That was uh that was brutal. But great, you know, juxtaposition of kind of, you know, showing sort of the like the violence of the time and and kind of this moment of, you know, like sort of the moment of triumph of the tourney versus, you know, juxtaposed against this, this moment where the King thinks that he sacrificed something to get um, something that he loves in order to get this thing that he really wants. And, you know, obviously it doesn't turn and, out that way. Right away the audience yeah. turns against Viserys, right? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> He's like, Fuck this guy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, it does a really, it, th- Emotionally and just the tension of those scenes is, is the juxtaposition there is really really good Um, thematically as well I think, but but yeah that was a that was a very difficult thing to watch. Um, well, I mean, it's, like, like, it's just really messed good. up because
2: in modern times, like you, I mean, we know enough about science that you have to have those conversations, like yeah, for sure, with your yeah. spouse. Like you, you kind of go into those hopefully front-loaded to know like what you guys have agreed on. Uh, yeah, it's different in
1: medieval times when when your poor yeah. wife has
2: no idea what's about to happen yeah
1: that was oh god that was pretty intense and, yeah. yeah and when your motivation is like political succession not so
0: much family <laughs> yeah 100% yeah that was a uh, that was a uh, that was a uh, I I so did you guys catch the kid was was basically dead there when they were holding yes, him because the the doctor was holding him the i'm trying
1: to yeah, the, kind of call it. yeah. He, he was he was copying a coughing sound of the baby and he had a concerned look and then cut yeah. to dragon funeral. (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah. I thought I kind of had the same thing where it was like, I had that moment of like, Oh, is, but I would, I feel like we're probably slightly more attentive TV watchers than the average, you know, person. I, I would hope so. But even, even not giving ourselves a ton of credit, I would say that we're, you know, maybe slightly more tuned into that kind of thing. And so I I wonder how many people watched that and felt like that was a smash cut to like, wait, the kid is dead too? Well, it
1: it, it does play both ways. It's just – honestly, it's the Game of Thrones of it all that makes me know that they killed the kid too. You know what I mean? If it it wasn't in any other show.
2: Oh, no, no. As soon as that scene started, I was like, yeah. this Because as soon as – no, I knew he was fucked. As soon as he gave a big speech, I had this vision and I was going to have a son. It was all going to be good. I was like, bro, you are getting all the way fucked like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, yeah so i i mean i was hoping like, like i guess i was looking through my fingers but i was hoping the kid lived because yeah. you know the parent in me now but as soon as the smash cut started i was like yeah, yeah and then i unfortunately <laughs> again i also know like there's a lot i i mean and i'm not to say like read the books but like i know the family history and the family tree yeah. so
1: I, it, I mean, no, it's, it, it, it's a very different it,
0: story if you had that song for sure uh,
1: oh yeah what, it, I, what the, oh my god <laughs> I'm scrolling
2: I'm scrolling through. I thought I was just looking at like a trending topic for Dragon Ball on Twitter and I just got into just some pretty hardcore dragon Ball anti porn that somebody
1: used to. <laughs> oh, sweet nice yeah nice sweet. nice catch Twitter. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, they don't miss on the foreshadowing in this. Cause you like in that conversation that series has with Ama beforehand, where she's like, this is the last one I've gone through enough stillbirths and dead children. That's it. And it literally is her last one for everyone.
0: <laughs> and at the <laughs> beginning, like, mean. you know,
1: Damon saying like all the people around you are there just to rip your corpse apart. They're going to take advantage of you. And, and they are already. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, and of course the big theme of this is like the only, the only thing that like Kofi said that can take down, the house of the dragon is the Targaryens themselves. And we're already, obviously this is the setup for that. So it's like every doom and gloom piece of dialogue is a season of the show probably. (laughs) So it's all going to happen. So yeah, that's why Uh, I knew he was going to die. That's my long way of saying that.
0: (laughs) Okay. Last question. Last question I have for you guys before Rob is going, Rob has seen the first episodes, first two episodes of the rings of power. So he's going to, you know, which is the Lord of the ring show that's coming to Amazon. They're spending a ridiculous amount on every episode these two shows are going to kind of go head to head. So Rob is going to kind of do a little bit of comparison there and preview the rings of power for us, which Kofi and I haven't seen, but before we get to that, I want to ask one last question I was kind of talking about, you know, this, this scene that, that kind of connects this show directly to the prophecy of, you know, that plays out in game of Thrones and everything. How connected do you want this show to be? to that show like I feel like this sort of suggests like they are going to make make maybe some more kind of in rows there and tell us things that maybe happened kind of off screen and and didn't really weren't really portrayed or, or developed in the books as to kind of how these Targaryens are working towards you know making sure that their people are on the Iron Throne to like you know face down this this world ending threat but you know, I feel like there's also a real temptation to lean into you know the other houses that may not have played quite as big a role in in the original text here in order to have those familiar locations and those familiar characters. so i'm I'm a little bit curious, you know, maybe Kofi, it's it's a good question for you, and I know you're kind of laid back about this, so you you probably are gonna say you're excited about you know interested to see what they do. But like how much of that would you be willing to tolerate if it kind of drew us away? from the main story that they're they're trying to tell here because I think one of the major criticisms of Game of Thrones early on was just it threw so many different houses at you, it threw so many different characters, it threw so many different ideas that that was somewhat kind of overwhelming to people um and it was kind of hard to ever center yourself fully in that world and what's cool about this one I think is we are really centered on one family who, you know, has all these political connections to all these other houses and, and stuff. But, but it really is a story about their family and how their family kind of tears itself apart. Like if you start having Stark showing up a lot and, you know, you're trying to make kind of references to, you know, I don't know, like allusions to the future there and maybe other prophecies or, or things like that. Would you be less interested in this or would you be like, no, I think that's good. I think it should all kind of live as one, you know, one thing. Um, Me not knowing shit about
1: the source material. um, I feel like it makes sense to really expand the roster of the characters inner workings. Because this, you know, at a grand scale comparing this to like what you just described from the original Game of Thrones, like this seems very minimalistic so far. Yeah, in on screen, it is a lot of characters as a screenplay, and they do a fantastic job setting them up. They just couldn't do anymore, but there has to be more. Just seeing Damon go home is going to be a story there. And, yeah, but, but on paper, you have the Targaryens, the centerpiece, right? And on the sides, you have the High Tower and Otto, and then Valerian, and then that who also have a claim, right? Through Rhaenys. So, so right. that's it. It's like it's like one main house and two side houses so far. So that's not enough for a Game of Thrones story, but. I mean, Kofi would know, probably, but, like, I assume there's uh, many more characters involved in subplots with each one of these houses, and maybe other houses that you mentioned, Starks, the Baratheons, whoever else, right? So, they'll get there, and I expect it.
2: That's the funny thing. No, I don't. Because, like I said, like, there is only, you know, the Targaryen family tree. You know what happened with them, but you know some of the legends and stuff of how things ended up the way they did by like who held what properties by the time game of thrones came around and their clues are all there but like yeah we i mean this is again a family history of the targaryens it's not about the entire there was never a book about like the entire world of their time so you don't know and we've already seen hints in this one of you know, it's funny. We see the Baratheons bending the knee to uh right. Ranae, Ranae, or, I can't even. Renira, yeah. Uh yeah, and saying that, and we know what's going to eventually happen. Uh, you know, with that whole thing. So there's a lot, like I said, that's kind of seeded in there already. But um, yeah, this one will have a lot of people, and as it gets on, I'm sure we'll expand into seeing. You know, we already got in the pilot the Hightower family you know we're behind closed doors with them and uh you know the uh black targaryen you know the black tees i call them they their family is uh kind of yeah yeah they're uh basically kind of getting attention too so it it will expand but um i think it's nice that unlike game of thrones like whoever was like court the whole thing about court was always fucked up because there was always a lunatic sitting on the iron throne, right? <laughs> like yeah. throughout the yeah. whole thing. So there wasn't actually a stable in, in the whole country was in civil war. So there wasn't like a whole stable government and kind of hierarchy in place ever. Yeah. Um, in the, in this there will be, and there very much is because there is no break in society during this time. The only break is in the Targaryen family. Uh, and even that takes all the way until Robert's rebellion to kind of to kind of fall apart. Because uh, that is the end of the official end of it is when uh, the Mad King Ares is cut down by Jamie Lannister and Robert kills Rhaegar at the Battle of the Trident. And that's right. it. And that's the end of the dynasty because of Ceres and, and Daenerys get, you know, have to sneak away across the narrow sea
1: and, you know,
2: make their comeback. And so, yeah, even, even when things go apart and we have to go through events, like a dance of dragons, which was named for an event in the Targaryen dynasty. um, And we're going to have to go through all that. Like there will still be, a kind of status quo to the society holding together that we didn't see in game of Thrones. So there won't yeah. be as much chaos and an eruption. Yeah. Just trying to get like a court held at the red keep was a uh, near impossible. In yeah. The, uh, in the original series, people kept getting murdered and, you know, <laughs> couldn't even go to dinner in the original series without, you know, possibly. Chance, getting, yeah. Yeah. It was real.
0: Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of here for a little bit more of an intimate story, even though, you know, it's going to get blown out. It's going to, things are going to happen. Um,
2: oh yeah. There's like pirate, there's the pirate King. They refer, they reference or the guy who's taken up the islands and the whole formation of the iron Island, all this, you know, geopolitical stuff has to happen too. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, okay, cool. On the, dawn, the Dawnish.
0: So I obviously want to hear how you think Rob, this stacks up to the rings of power um, which you've seen the first two episodes now. Correct. and So uh, I don't. I mean, however you want to tackle this, if you want to give a little impression okay, of I have to be, to
1: this, I'm, I'll, I'll give you a loose comparison because the actual review embargo is end of the month, but the social embargo lifts as of the time of, of this recording tomorrow, okay. they haven't given a specific time, yet, but they said like light social reactions, no score, but right. I'll say this. Cause you know, we're podcast X. We don't give a shit about that. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so first off, I, I prefaced what I said about House of the Dragon and how I felt. I was just kind of going into it, not really feeling one way or another until I started watching it. This one, however, I was a little more skeptical because I think the marketing materials were poor to terrible. Um, the trailers were weak. Um, it, 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 it leaned too much towards The Hobbit and not enough Lord of the Rings, and, and The Hobbit movies were failing to me. Um, and one day we should go into the story behind what really happened there with Guillermo the and Guillermo uh, yeah. Navarro, his partner, and what really happened between them and the Jackson camp. Cause that's a good one, but, uh, that's for another day. So this one, I will say it's, it's pleasantly a lot better than I expected. Um, the production values are much better than I expected. Uh, and it, it is despite all the obvious comparisons, the budget, the timeline, the size of the franchise, the importance of these flagship properties to the streaming services. They're both being prequels to establish lore. We know so well. Um, built around major families or major characters and major villains we, we are leading to. You know what I mean? There's so many obvious comparisons, but it really is like a very different piece of art. You know what I mean? Um, you can see that just from the stylings of it all. And this is a lot more high fantasy for all the obvious reasons we know about middle earth and such. Um. Uh, so, so yeah, like I said, the, the marketing did the show a huge, huge disservice. It's, it's very watchable, but it, it is sadly not at the level of, uh, of quality and writing and, and, and acting as we just got from one episode of house of the dragon. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think, I think you'll see hype. For example, at the end of house of the dragon, they play the theme song for game of thrones and everyone's like hells. Yeah. Right. And they mentioned yeah. the song of ice and fire. There's no like equivalent moment or feeling, not that you need a nod towards what comes, but it just, you just don't get that feeling of like, Oh, this is awesome. I can't wait to see what's next. I'm just kind of here for the ride. And whereas I think every Sunday night, uh, us three and everyone else, instead of watching, you know, Indian matchmaking, we're going to be sitting here watching the next episode of House of the Dragon with Lord of the Rings. I could wait a few episodes and binge it a little bit. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's not appointment viewing like Game of Thrones will be. Um, but in terms of story, like I, I don't want to get too much into details, but the, the heavy, heavy focus is on the Elven politics and the lore. Uh, you know, it, it even begins with how they kind of came from Valinor to Middle earth and the, the war they fought when they got there. And, um, the driving point for Galadriel, who is the star of the show, is like she's trying to hunt down Sauron, who is the general of the, of the, um, oh, what's his name, Morgoth or some shit, like the main, main villain of the old war. And she's the only one in her little group of elves who is convinced that the orcs and Sauron are still out there in hiding, preparing to make a return. And it's been over 100, 200 years since anyone's seen an orc or whatever. It's a time of peace, much like House of the Dragon is, right, in Westeros. Um, but of course, not all is as it seems. And we get the, the inklings of the hints of the you know the blight of the land is beginning and the orcs are about to return. Um, and it does give you... Uh, it's smart they gave us two episodes. Um, another thing, House of the Dragon does better. House of the Dragon does well much better in establishing the universe and the characters and the houses in one episode. This took two episodes to get us, um, caught up on the the state of the land. And by that, I mean, we do get a look at the Dwarven kingdom, which to me, and I was worried about this the most, because I think the dwarves were mishandled in the Hobbit movies. I think the Dwarven kingdom and their prince is actually a really cool character. And coming out of this, I actually just want to see more elves and dwarves and their politics and them doing whatever. (laughs) I could not (laughs) give a shit about the human villages. Um, and their inner workings or the Harfoots who are not hobbits, but very similar. Um, the Harfoots are cool too. They're, um, you've probably seen them. They look like hobbits in the trailers, but they're essentially like, they're like a more of a nomad society. They live in the, in the wild anywhere. And they're like experts in camouflage. Like you walk by them, you have no idea they're there. And then when, when they're free and clear, all the shit opens up and they're hiding in the trees and in the ground and they have their own little village and they survive by maintaining their, you know, secrecy, but they're super excitable and love seeing hunters or other people or other creatures around the world. So, they're kind of like the wild folk, um, and and they have an important role to play. Once you see the first two episodes, they they come across something that's going to be important for the show. Um, okay. But yeah, it does feel it, it sort of it, it falls in in between um, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Uh, it, you know the 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 intro or hint of the orcs is very similar to Lord of the Rings and how its style and tone how it feels, but um, the world and the characters feels very hobbit ask you know what i mean in terms of quality and the bright lights and the colorful stuff and, and the staging and you know what i mean i in fact i <laughs> maybe because of the quality of the screen i was watching you remember when the hobbit came out and he had that 48 frames per second shit uh, and it looked yeah, yeah. Weird?
0: i saw yeah did you see it in 40 did either of you i saw it in 48 frames per no, second No, i couldn't. I, I, yeah, I mean no. i saw i saw the they had like a test reel i, I made a mistake minutes.
2: one time the first yeah, time. Yeah, I, I, I saw it in 3d oh so, i did do that yeah oh, and God, i
1: nearly
0: I, died yeah. It looked like a BBC stage play. That opening it scene, was with so weird. yeah, that opening, especially like that opening, like I think it's the opening scene, right, where they're just in the shire or something, and they're all they're like, in some village. People are walking around carrying wagons. Just no,
2: smog, yeah. When smog first comes and uh, attacks, that's you can't what even it is. It. Yeah, it's so fast that's right, that's like you can't right. even fucking oh. see what's happening.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. like it's so uh, dizzying. Yeah, the reason I, so I bring that up bad. is like when you <laughs> some of the groups of characters when you're first introduced, it feels like that weird like stage play overly yeah. produced and the costumes don't f- quite feel lived in exactly. And the makeup is not quite real. You know what I mean? Like, like you look at Gimli and, and, and the characters in the Lord of the Rings, they feel like real characters. And you look at the, the dwarves and their facial prosthetics and, and uh, the Hobbit movies, and you're like, Oh boy, this doesn't look right. Um, and this leans a little bit into that with some of these characters.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it, you know what? it's not worth the half a billion price tag, but it's good enough for viewing experience. Um, they have a lot of work to do in the last, I think it's only eight episodes, the first season, correct me if I'm wrong, but they they have a lot of work to do to make, make this like a big thing. Cause we know they're in it for the long haul. They have to be right. So, um, I, I, again, this is all, it's super intro. You get like teases of the orcs and teases of this other thing. I won't talk about. Um, and they're just introducing some key characters amongst these three or four factions. But, uh, yeah, it, it's not at the level of Game of Thrones, so uh, mm-hmm. I, I am curious how the responses will be versus what seems to be very positive responses to House of the Dragon. So
0: yeah, um, yeah, so. yeah, that's that's quite interesting um, because I, I guess I neither of these shows like excited me a ton uh, just because I was never a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Like I, I like the original trilogy. Um, I have read the books. I, you know, I enjoy it enough, but. I thought the Hobbit trilogy in particular was like quite, quite difficult to kind of get through. And I think I, Kofi and I reviewed all those movies, I think, but, um, or maybe Sandy reviewed a couple. I can't remember, but I, I don't remember, you know, being all that excited about them. So this was, for me, it was, you know, I don't know. I was sort of hoping it would blow me away because I like a lot of Amazon's programming. So I was optimistic, but yeah, this sounds it, it, like it's kind it, of landing a bit where, I thought game of Thrones was going to land Frank, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting reversal.
1: I think, I think game of Thrones is a better blueprint to work from quite frankly. Uh, yeah. You know, given that the other one came off of the Hobbit, right? Um, yeah. What was going to say? You know what? Speaking of Amazon programming, I did you watch the wheel of time? Cause like, that's the show where like the first episode I was like, Oh boy, this is terrible. And then I watched the second episode and I was kind of in it and I really enjoyed that overall. I mean, that is not at the level of course, as Lord yeah. of the Rings needs to be. Um, but still, I mean, even if they could pull that off and if the back six are stronger, I'm, I'm in it. What's also funny is I keep harping on the marketing because so I think that's a huge failing on Amazon's part. But the characters that people like took, are up in arms about online for all the awful reasons actually end up being, to me, like the, the kind of the most interesting, coolest characters on screen. Hmm. Um, there's a dwarf in particular and an elf in particular who are like the characters kind of carrying a lot of the scenes they're in and they're like, are most likable to me for different reasons. So, um, I mean. yeah, they, they do right by most of the characters, I think. Um but yeah, there's also a lot of wasted time with with Galadriel being the star. Like, there's a lot of scenes she's in, like they just really extend for no reason. Like her just, she's stuck in the water for like an episode, and it's like we don't need this. There's only six episodes here, guys, or eight. So you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's move it along. But yeah, I'm very curious when you guys see this, uh, how you feel about it. But it'll be an yeah. interesting, inevitable comparison. This and Game of Thrones.
0: Well, you've lowered my expectations so low for this show now that uh I'm almost inevitably going to probably like it more than I think I will at this point. Uh but no, that's interesting. I mean, I, you know, as someone who like I said came into this this Game of Thrones season um, you know, in this new show pretty unexcited or wait and see. I'm excited that Game of Thrones is back and if that means the Lord of the Rings show, you know, kind of ends up being I I don't know, like a bit of a kind of gets overshadowed by Game of Thrones and kind of props Game of Thrones up by being the better series. Like, I'm kind of excited for that because I, I my interest in this is... is I've loved Game of Thrones more than I probably have cared about Lord of the Rings in in a long time, so...
1: Yeah. I, um, I'll also state it. the obvious. Game of Thrones is very adult. Lord of the Rings is very not. It's very PG-13. So it is yeah. also a bit of a different audience it's catering towards, obviously.
0: Yeah, <laughs> fair. Uh, okay, well, before we go, we have to talk about the other... This was probably the most watched, one of the most watched shows of the of the week, you know, in House of the Dragon, and the number one movie at the box office this weekend. The first time an animated movie has been number one at the box office since Mewtwo's movie uh, back in like the late late nineties. Dragon Ball Super Superhero, a film that we all went out and saw. Rob put on his Goku wig um i don't know a second character in this series gohan i dressed up like gohan listen Um, listen i'm falling asleep yeah
2: i'm falling asleep so i don't have time for your bullshit anime thing anime is mainstream now kids don't listen to these old fuckers if you go back and listen to the project x thing ben was 52 back then uh and i told you that and like uh, yeah, anime has gone mainstream. Dragon Ball is one of the biggest franchises worldwide. It just took, a, I mean, won the U.S. box office. It didn't even, this film did not even do as well opening in Japan as virtually every other Dragon Ball movie, while this one is crushing in the U.S., largely because of that Gohan. It's the summer of Gohan, which we made a nice video over on comicbook.com anime, which is about summer of Gohan, baby. It's a long time coming because a lot of people in the U.S., Discovered Dragon Ball through Dragon Ball Z, which was essentially Gohan's story. Um, everything about Dragon Ball Z, if you know your Dragon Ball Z, was about you know, not just Goku, but what his son was coming up as the dark horse, half Saiyan, half human, with the most power of anybody. And so, uh, yeah, Dragon Ball Super Superhero is the first feature in, or just, I mean, Dragon Ball Super Story period to really put Gohan center stage again. And it's been a big thing in the fandom and uh, about, you know, getting this character in one series that you're told is going to be like the the chosen one. And then because of popularity and corporate reasons, just going with your iconic franchise characters, Goku and Vegeta and Dragon mm-hmm. Ball super and kind of leaving out everybody because Dragon Ball Z was about the Z fighters, this whole team of people on earth <laughs> and Dragon Ball super has just been about the Goku and Vegeta basically going godlike cosmic and literally the jokes or I mean even the series itself had to start making jokes about how fucking irre- irrelevant like and powerless the other people were because they were so over the main characters were so overpowered by this point. So Dragon Ball Super Superhero actually answers a lot of these fan concerns where it comes to like Gohan and Piccolo and there is a lot of fan service in the movie. Um, From the story premise that basically ties to one of Dragon Ball Z's most popular arcs, the uh, Android saga, and um, to kind of what it is about a development, a canonized development for Gohan and where it leaves him and Piccolo. Basically, I'm not going to spoil. I mean, this shit's been out here since it came out in Japan in June, but Gohan and Piccolo are now contenders in Dragon Ball Super uh, in terms of their power level and stuff. So that's pretty exciting. Um, The visuals. Were a big controversy because they used CGI visuals for the first time in Dragon Ball kind of animation design, and uh, I love the Shatani style of uh, the of uh, basically of a yeah uh, of Dragon Ball Super Broly. I love the animation redesign for that, the hand drawn animation. But this CGI animation did some pretty amazing things. I went to go see this with my uh, comic book nation co host Matthew Aguilar. Shout out, Maddie. And I'm forcing them to get into anime too. They're <laughs> they're less cynical than you two fuckers, but like, you know, <laughs> we're getting them in to just see it. And uh, so this was his first anime movie and he was really impressed by the ending. I mean, the visuals in the kind of final battle is is just crazy next level because you couldn't hand draw it. Like it does things with kind of like using Dragon Ball and auras and all that stuff, light effects with CGI that is just pretty next level. And there's some fun sequences in a. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good time Dragon ball super superhero if you were a Gohan Dragon Ball Z fan and you like the Android saga and that's your thing you've been wearing your trunks jacket and all that stuff for years like this movie is for you and and it's something different and uh, it may not have hit in Japan where they love their Goku Vegeta fix but it's definitely hitting here um, and I hope in conjunction with what's going on in the manga right now there was also a game changing dragon Ball manga They're setting up a new arc that's going to be dope. Um, Yeah, it's a good time to be an anime fan. And if you don't know your Demon Slayer from your Dragon Ball, from your Naruto, from your My Hero Academia, I mean, I could tell you you're cool and you're into geek culture, but uh,
0: I I could also not. I have a... I mean, my interest continues to be piqued by this stuff, but I don't really know where to start. So, stop if calling I will- this stuff. <laughs> Take the condescension out of your tone. <laughs> Sorry, No, I mean, I would be, I would be interested in getting into like Dragon Ball,
2: and that's not your entry point. You should probably just go do some My Hero Academia. You like that kind of shit. Like, you, you, you like that kind of stuff. If you're gonna do like a shonen thing, and there are different types of genres of kind of like manga, yeah, you know, stuff. And I think you might you might like My Hero Academia. That's the one I recommend because it's 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 basically it's basically a like a, a superhero story through put through a kind of anime manga viewpoint, but not. But it's a, it's a manga it's a manga creator Kohei Horikoshi who who very much is a total. Marvel DC Star Wars geeks, like half the locations and some people are named for like Star Wars references and like all this stuff. Like it's pretty, it's pretty deep. Like there's a place, there's a battle of like in Jakku and like Jakku city is like a place in there. And like, there's all these kind of Kamino, there's a whole epic arc. that's the battle of Kamino, which Mm -hmm. is named after the Star Wars thing. And so like, there's all these awesome arcs and stuff, but it's also very much kind of its own mythology and, that's a good one cuz it's just a superhero story. It's about a kid who wants to be the world's best superhero and he has to go right. to school for it and so that fucking is easy to do. Um yeah, and if you're going to get into shonen, that's an easy one. You might also like some crazy slice of life manga. I know you like reading books and shit and novels, but a uh, slice of life manga is also good. You can also find something that interests you there. But um yeah, the other shonen thing I would say is Dragon Ball's easy. It's male soap opera. It's people mm. charging up so they can beat up somebody more powerful. Like, I mean, it's about <laughs> as as you get. It's literally all it is. Um, um, and it was in demon slayer and demon slayer is one of the best series to come out in fucking years. So, and there's so much other stuff. Jujutsu Kaisen's pretty dope, but that's kind of more of a funky hip. You gotta be like anime, anime, I think to get into that a little bit, you got crazy shit like one punch man or chainsaw man. One punch man is also a great superhero satire. Like, Oh, totally hilarious. Um, Yeah, Chainsaw Man's about to hit it big. Like, yeah, there's a lot out there. But uh, My Hero's the most (laughs) successful. I've seen
1: some pictures of Chainsaw Man. That's a character for sure. Um, Oh, yeah. What about – no, Ben, you should just watch uh, One Piece, man. You can binge it this weekend. It's only like a thousand episodes. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, no, man. One Piece is is too out there. But like some of the series that – because like recently in recent years, there's been a lot of mangakas that are like – they they come and they just do a series. It's like five or six seasons, or like they do it for four years of manga, and then they're like, "I'm out," because it is a grueling kind of task to do, more so than American comic series. And so, yeah, I I mean, uh, Attack on Titans another one, like great one to get into because that's I mean that's the thing that made, yeah, anime mainstream in the 2010s was Attack on Titan that just broke through to everyone. So like, and that's not even like, that's just a crazy story. And again, also very good for this discussion because of game of Thrones, because uh, it's another one that was so beloved and the ending has people like foaming at the mouth still. So, you know, attack of Titans, an interesting one, and they're about to finish that up. So this is a good time to go back and rewatch all of that. And I believe it's still on Hulu and stuff like that, because yeah, that's a fucking fantastic series. And that's for like adult, Like if you love adult genre, stuff like that, like attack on Titan's pretty good one. It's not too, it's not because some shit is too, too anime for some people like in attack on Titan never has like weird things where like the character suddenly turn cartoony and jump up in the air with her eyes spinning, you know, like there's nothing that it's a serious drama. So you can get into that. But, um, my hero attack on Titan demon slayer, just three easy ones to say right off the bat, like in, like i i had loved anime but i hadn't gotten back into manga until the pandemic hit in 2020 and i jumped hard back into some manga and like yeah it it's it's scary how much more entertaining it is to read manga than it is to read like american comic books it's Hmm. and i'm sorry people can get mad at me for that but like it really is it just really is better um and they're just kind of gripping stories but uh yeah, I can't believe you two or Rob especially hasn't fucked with
1: Demon Slayer because Demon Slayer is like one of the best visually and just storytelling wise. Like It's been recommended but even by people on the screen. Here, but I, I think Attack on Titan is one I see buzzed about the most. Hell, I even have the character skins in Call of Duty Warzone for that. But uh, I, I will. I think I, I want to do Attack on Titan first just because I've had more like, what, like personal friend recommendations for that. But I will. And the anime I've watched is all these adaptation shits like Pacific Rim Black, which is like, you know, very. Yeah, not quite the same I, thing. So
0: yeah, I watched that. Yeah, I liked that a lot though. But or if you watch *Skin Bloodlines*,
2: well, I mean, I got into anime back in the nineties because I watched *Street Fighter II*, the animated movie, and that was still dope as shit. Uh, yeah, still one of my favorites. But um, yeah, man, there's a lot going on in anime, and Dragon Ball's out there. I don't know. I didn't want to talk this long about it, but uh, here we are.
0: No, it's cool. Um, awesome. Well uh yeah i mean i i definitely will take up your recommendation of my hero academia i've heard a lot of good things about it somewhere Um, there's some anime heads i mean that phantom man you gotta be careful right now there's some
2: kids screaming like into the void about what i didn't say like you didn't mention this one you're just a shonen bro
1: Yo, here's a deep cut. Have you ever Kofi? You may have seen this already. When I was a kid, the one anime I watched it was one of my favorite shows ever, and I used to collect like toys from it. Is Techno Man? Ever seen that? Yeah, I watched the oh, first yeah. dub of that. It was like Saturday morning cartoons. It was like X Men and oh, Techno Man. Yeah. That was that was the shit.
2: <laughs> oh no, that. Ben! You know what you should do, and and this and you know, a Shonen Jump subscription is. I tell people all the time a Shonen Jump subscription on like Viz Media online is like so cheap and and it's the best bang for your buck for what you get to read and how immersed you can be in like reading stuff, especially if you have a tablet. Um but uh I would say Ben you would really like promise Neverland, will never land.
0: Okay.
2: But I think you should read it. The the manga is much better than the anime. The manga got me through the first part of the pandemic. It's fucking amazing. But uh cool. It's about a oh I can't even tell you what's about because it is a very twist kind of sci-fi kind of coming of age series but you would like that
0: yeah I will uh, I will check it out I want to I definitely want to test the waters here a bit and see if it's if it's uh, something that I'd enjoy um, all right well that will do it for this week's episode of podcast X um, you can follow me Ben Kendrick at Ben Kendrick on Twitter, check out what I'm doing over at Rise at 7. You can check out my movie reviews over at screenrant.com. Mr. Rob Keys.
1: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob underscore Keys. That's K-E-Y-E-S. And tomorrow I'll put up a little sizzle reel of a little Top Gun experience I did the other week where I flew a stunt plane. Um, this is a sizzle reel shows some of the maneuvers, but I think we got the raw footage. and have to cut some some of the crazier shit to make your own video for it. Um, so that will be on screamman.com tomorrow. And you can follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitch at
0: FailCube. Cool. Kofi Outlaw.
1: You can
2: follow me at Kofi Outlaw. Uh, there's only one. There are no men like me. There is only me. There's a, go, there's a good Game of Thrones reference <laughs> for you. Um, you can also find me hosting Comic Book Nation every week, which is on your podcast platforms along with Podcast X. Uh, and it gives you a good one-two punch. People have really been enjoying. They, they hit me up and talk about how much they enjoy listening to me on both podcasts because it's like having two versions of me. There's the Harvey Dent version on uh, comic book nation. And this is my two face version. So, you know, down here on podcast X and no, but people would like to see like me behind the scenes and me when I'm in front of the uh, spotlights doing my dance. And uh, yeah, so you can hear me on both sides of my thoughts on uh, both podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, comic book nation also has a YouTube page that we've started up and we're trying to grow. So uh, be sure to do me a favor and subscribe to that as well. And uh, you can always find us streaming on Mixable now. And uh, yeah, people people seem to enjoy that. So awesome. see me all
0: around. I'll be all up in your ear holes. Sounds good. As I said, that'll do it for this week's episode. We will be back next week. We'll see you guys online.